Hey there, my name is Derek Duvall, and I'm the lead pastor of Awakened City Church in Harriman, Utah, a suburb of Salt Lake City. And I want to thank you for checking us out. Awakened City exists to connect people from all walks of life with the hope that's found in Jesus. And we hope that this message will be a blessing to you. For more information, you can visit awakenslc.com. Good morning. If you guys have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and flip to Psalm 50 or turn on your phones. Uh, or if you don't have a Bible app or Bible with you, also in that lyrics folder is uh, the passage that we are going to be looking at this morning, Psalm chapter 50. If you are new this morning, we are uh, walking through Psalms this summer. Uh, we're looking at a Psalm or part of a Psalm each week. Uh, and if, if Psalms is even new to you uh, as well, what the Psalms are, are this collection of 150 songs and prayers that have been written, uh, that have been inspired by God, that then have been used by God's people to worship and to know God. And that's our desire for this series, is that it would, as we learn about who God is, uh, that it would stir our hearts to worship and to treasure Him above everything else. So Psalm chapter 50 is where we are going to be this morning. And unlike the other Psalms, that we've looked at up to this point that have all been written by David. Uh, this morning, this psalm we're looking at is written by a man named Asaph. Asaph was given the position uh, as worship by David as the worship leader uh, for the uh, tabernacle choir, the, the tabernacle choir, not the Mormon tabernacle choir or the Brooklyn tabernacle choir, but the original tabernacle choir. And so that was Asaph's position. Uh, and so uh, this psalm that we're looking at this morning, Asaph records the words of God speaking to his people, the Israelites. And in it, what God is doing is he's rebuking uh, them. And it might surprise you when you learn why he is rebuking them, why God is rebuking the Israelites. Uh, and so let me ask this question. What if you discovered that you had spent your entire life trying to please God, but all the while you were doing the very things that God considered offensive? What if you spent your entire life doing what you thought was pleasing to God and then found out all that you were doing was actually offensive to God? Our first temptation might be to say, Derek, I don't think that's even possible. Uh, I think that God would be happy with anyone or anything that is done in the hopes of pleasing God. But the problem with that statement is uh, that, that what we're doing in the moment is we're molding God into who we want him to be and not who he truly is. We've based our thoughts about what would please God on our own opinions. And so that's why we must start with who God is and not what we think he is or what we want him to be. Maybe I could illustrate it like this. Uh, we are trying to, Kristen and I are constantly trying to teach our children to be selfless and to share. But on more than one occasion, uh, as we're trying to teach our children to share, we find that their sharing is not motivated by a true love for the other person or a selflessness in their own heart. Um, but just this action to check the box of, okay, I shared, right? 
Uh, and I get it. Sharing is hard. I struggle in my own heart to share, right? Sharing can be uh, difficult. I get it. But when we ask our children to share, uh, and then they choose to give the inferior or less uh, desirable item, they check the box of sharing, but they've not done it with the right heart attitude. It goes like this. You need to share your toys. Okay, you can have the broken one, right? It's like I checked the box, but I missed the point. Uh, and there, there's no love for one another, and there's no thinking of themselves less in that moment. So my point is this, that just because your child does something that they think will please you doesn't mean it actually does. Does that make sense? And so as we look at Psalm 50 this morning, we're going to find God rebuking his people for doing the very same thing, checking the box, but missing the point. So let's read Psalm chapter 50, verses 7 through 15. It says, God says, Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Now, if you're not real familiar with the Old Testament, uh, this, pa this passage probably comes off as a bit odd. What, what in the world is going on here? What's God talking about? And what's really beautiful about the entire Bible is that it's made up of multiple books by multiple authors over a course of, over a course of 1,500 years, yet it tells one story of redemption. And all of it points toward this one central historical figure, a man named Jesus from Nazareth. And so in the Old Testament, God has commanded, what's going on here is God has commanded his people to make sacrifices of bulls and goats for the forgiveness of sins. But did those uh, in and of themselves actually make their sins forgiven? No, we, we see in Hebrews chapter 10 that their purpose wasn't to forgive sins, but to be a reminder year after year of the great horror and the cost of sin and the need for forgiveness. And then ultimately, it was to point toward the single greatest sacrifice ever when Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for our sins. And so that's what's going on here. God's people are making animal sacrifices to God because he's required them in an attempt to please him. But we learn in verse 8 and 9 that those sacrifices are not pleasing God. God says, not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. So the problem isn't that they're doing what God asked and required of, of them. Hear me say that. The problem is not that they're doing what God has required of them. They were, the verse says, continually with, before him, it says. But we know there's a problem because verse 9 says, but, but I will not accept a bull from your house, or goats from your folds. Why? What in the world is going on here? Why would he not accept those? And as we continue to read what we learn, uh, we learn that it's, it, 
that it's because their doing, their sacrifices, were out of a wrong motive of the heart. Let's keep reading. Verse 10, God says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? And the answer to those rhetorical questions is no. Verse 14, so offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, is what he says. They were making sacrifices to God with the assumption that they were bringing something to the table and that he needed them and that he was somehow dependent upon them. They were wrongly assumed that God, that the God they worshiped uh, was in need of their sacrifice. And God makes it crystal clear that all that they offer to him is already his. And they wrongly, um, I'm sorry, and, and that what we, he desires is not a sacrifice of animals, but a sacrifice of thanksgiving. You may be wondering why I have a jug of water up here. Maybe you thought, well, Derek's super thirsty and he's well prepared for today. Um, but he hasn't even opened it yet. Uh, and the reason that I brought this uh, gallon of spring water up here uh, is because uh, growing up with uh, my grandparents, what we would do on, not every weekend, but often, is I would go with my grandparents to Carmel, Indiana. I grew up in Indiana. We'd go to Carmel, Indiana. We'd go to this natural spring. And we would fill up, I don't know how many gallons of water uh, when we would go there. Uh, it was just something that I would do with my grandparents. Uh, and it was, the, it was in the days before you could just go to Walmart or the grocery store and just buy spring water, right? You couldn't just buy a case of it. Actually, if you said, I'm going to buy water, they said, why would you buy water? That's free, right? It's ludicrous. But uh, we would go fill it up because you couldn't just go down to the local store and buy it. Uh, now imagine if instead of uh, going to the spring and filling up these jugs of water, instead we took uh, every week, we filled it up from the faucet, then we took it to the natural spring, and we just dumped all our uh, fossil water into the spring. We'd probably get some weird looks, right? One, because uh, you're tainting my spring water with your faucet water. But two, why are you, you don't have to fill up a spring. It naturally fills itself up, right? You, we don't need you to come fill it up for us. Um, it, the, the, the spring is self-replenishing. So then how do we serve a natural spring in such a way that you show its value and greatness? Maybe I could illustrate it in a way that I've heard it illustrated before. God is a mountain spring, not a watering trough. God is a mountain spring, not a watering trough. A mountain spring is self-replenishing. It constantly overflows and supplies others. But a watering trough needs to be filled with a, a pump or a bucket, right? And so if you want to glorify the worth of a watering trough, you work hard to keep it full and useful. But if you want to glorify the worth of a, a spring, you do it by getting down on your hands and knees and drinking until you're fully satisfied. And then you get up and you walk down the mountain and you go tell others where you found that spring of water and how it's fully satisfied you. And so I rest my entire life on the belief that God is satisfied with my understanding of my absolute need for him. That he 
is satisfied, not with me taking my gallon jugs of water and, and filling and pouring it into the natural spring, but in my, that God is satisfied in me coming to the living water. Remember, Jesus calls himself that in John chapter 4. That, that God is satisfied in me coming to the spring of living water and filling myself up and being fully satisfied in him. And then what comes out as a sacrifice, it's not my feeble attempts to fill up the natural spring, but a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And so that's why this passage that we're looking at this morning ends with God saying in verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Hear this, guys. God is glorified. His greatness is seen not in our doing things for God, but in showing our desperation for him. Now, don't hear me saying that means you shouldn't do anything. Hear me. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that our doing is a result of our thanksgiving to God, not because he needs something from us. And so when we sacrifice our time, when we sacrifice our talents, when we sacrifice our treasures, our money, it isn't because God needs it. It serves as a reminder that those are all God's anyways, and that our joy isn't in our possessions, but in God. And so with thanks, we give and we serve. Hear this. Time was given to us to show that time is not our treasure. Christ is. Money was given to us to show the world that money is not our treasure. Christ is. Homes, cars were given to us to show the world that those homes and those cars, those are not our treasure. Christ is. Friendships, jobs, food were given to us to show that they are not our treasure. That's not where our hope is. Christ is where our hope is. And so we offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, not because he needs those things, but because we recognize we need him more than those things. I'll say that again. We offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, not because he needs those things, but because we recognize we need him more than we need those things. And so if you're in here this morning and you found yourself in a place where you've uh, been giving to God sacrifices, but the sacrifices weren't really given out of a heart of gratitude they weren't really given out of a heart of rejoicing, but instead they were given so that you could just check another box in your mind. Okay, God, we're even. I've done this for you. Now you've got to do that for me. I want to plead with you this morning to repent, to confess before God that you've been living a transactional mentality when it comes to God. A mentality that says, okay, God, I'll do these things for you if you'll do these things for me. And it, that's not how it works. God is worthy of the sacrifices of our time, of our talents, of our treasures, because they're already His, and He owes us nothing. Also, don't fall into the trap of thinking that you bring something to the table for God, that God needs you. You have nothing to offer. There's nothing that God needs. So we ought to humble ourselves. But also, don't fall into the trap of thinking that you have nothing to bring to the table 
for others. Because you bring to the table the only thing that's of true value if you know Jesus. You've found the fountain of living water, a spring that never runs dry. And so you go, you get down on your hands and knees, and you find yourself satisfied in Christ. And then you get up, and you go, and you share or that where you have been fully satisfied and where they too can find the hope and joy and life that they long for. Faith fam, can I ask a real question this morning? How many people are you praying for right now that they would come to know and trust in Christ? They would grow in their relationship with Him. How many people are you lifting up before God that they would treasure Him above everything else? That they would see Him through these terrible times, these dif this difficult situation they're in maybe. How many people in your circle of influence do you have the opportunity to share with and you haven't? How many people do you know that are longing for living water, longing for hope and for life and for joy, and God has put you in their life to tell them where the living water is? A spring that never runs dry, that never stops satisfying them. Church, we have good news. We have found the spring of living water, and we cannot keep it to ourselves. So I want to end our time this morning like we do each Sunday and just giving us a moment to reflect. Maybe it's a moment to reflect on what God has done for us and to rejoice in it. Maybe it's a, it's a moment to, to confess before God, I've been living a transactional mentality of God, I've done all of these things for you and you're not coming, you're not coming in for me. What's going on here? I'm ready to give up. Or, or maybe, maybe you're in here today and you're like, I don't even know this whole Jesus thing's even real. Like, I'm not even sure how I showed up this morning. I just came. And for you, you just need to hear that what you've been longing for, what you've been hoping to fill your heart, what you've been longing to, to, to find joy and hope in life, and you've been looking, and you know, you know this morning that didn't satisfy and it's not satisfying. I'm here to say this morning, that's because the only thing that truly will is Jesus. And you can continue to come and you can try to fill things up like a watering trough and try to make it great. But you have to constantly work to keep it full and to make it great. Or you can rest and you can come to the spring of living water and be satisfied. A spring that never runs dry. So I don't know where you're at this morning, but I want to give us a moment to just to pray, to focus. We'll close out by singing a song and then we get to celebrate something in the life of our church. So let's just spend some time in prayer and then I'll close this out.